Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is another one of our wonderful gay Latter-day Saints calling in from Florida, my friend David Doyle. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you for having me. David lives in the Tampa area, and I'll introduce more about David. Just on a personal note, we took our youngest son to the MTC today, so... We have four sons, and we've been blessed to have all four of them serve missions or start missions. We dropped him off at the new Provo MTC. is going to Samoa. So that, for those of you that have dropped off children to serve missions, you know those following hours are kind of a little tender-hearted. So it's probably therapeutic, David. I'm doing a podcast with you versus just kind of sitting on the couch in a stupor. That is exciting. So you know what? I worked at the at the old MTC. I mean, a long time ago. Did you? But uh, it is an amazing place. It is so easy to plug into the spirit while you're there, and your son is going to be well taken care of. Well, thank you, and that's reassuring. Um, David is. I'll just give you a background on David. David um, is active LDS. He's 48. He is single. He is gay. He served a mission in South Korea. He really started coming out at about age 40. Um, He serves as the stake executive secretary. I think he's out to most people in his stake. And has had some wonderful interactions with Elder Costa. Is that, am I saying, I know there's a couple general authorities with that name. Tell us how to pronounce his name. His name is Joaquin Costa, Elder Costa. And we'll talk about that, an experience that Elder Costa had with David. So this is just a chance for David to tell his story. I've met I've never met David. We've been on social media together and I've followed his story and just recognize he's one of my heroes for walking a really <laughs> difficult road for a long time and maybe now in a position where he can be um himself and loved for himself and it is trailblazers like David that have been on this road that I think help um, our local leaders, our ward members, and perhaps give um, great insights to younger LGBTQ people that need the mature voices of someone like David, who's walked this road for quite a while. So um, once again, thanks for joining us on the podcast, David, and thanks for your prayer before we went live. I sure appreciate your prayer. And I think it's nine o'clock at, or later on the East Coast, and I think you've been meeting with the stake presidency tonight as part of your regular meetings. Is that true? That is correct. Did you tell them you were doing this podcast or just kind of keep that private? Uh, on Sunday, when we were planning the, tonight's meeting, I told them we had to end by 830 because I, I was invited to be on a podcast. I had to get home to record it. That's great. Um, just tell us um, any introductory comments you just want our listeners to know about you. Uh, well, you know, to the listener, um, I hope that you're going to hear something that moves you and gives you insight and that you'll want to share this episode. But if you're going to send it to an LGBTQ individual, particularly if they are a teen or in their 20s, um, be careful the kind of message that you accompany it with. I would, I would really be sad if you send it along with a message saying, hey, this guy's active in church. He figured it out. If he can do it, you can do it. Because... You don't really understand the hardships and hard times you're wishing on someone that you love. You, you have to understand it's their journey. They have to figure out their path. And so a better message would be, 
you know, I love and support you and, and as you and want to be in your life as you figure out how, how your life is going to go. Or I heard something that was meaningful to me, and I'd like to hear your thoughts and your feelings about your path. I love that, David. I'm so glad I asked you that question. I'm just touched by your answer. And um, as I've met with LGBTQ people, they seem to have the most empathy for how difficult this road is and are very careful about saying this, Take, don't take my road and have someone infer that someone else should walk that road because you know how difficult this road is. And our, I realize our straight members don't realize how difficult this is. So that's very insightful. And thank you for doing that. I know Tom Christofferson feels the same way about his book. Um, and others that are able to stay in the church are kind of, you know, that's your path and we honor that and we invite everybody to stay, but maybe not everybody can stay. So we want to be able to keep families together and keep relationships together and honor, honor everybody's individual journey. Talk about um, just when you realized, and I, I realized you were gay, and I don't know if you took on that label or different labels as you aged. Just share with our listeners a little bit about your journey. Um, it's, well, looking back, there were, there were signs of, of my, uh, orientation from the time I was little, just, I, I liked boys in a way other boys didn't, I didn't like girls, you know, those sorts of things. But, uh, when I hit puberty, um, a lot of people have explicit dreams at night, and the people that were in my dreams were other males, and that really distressed me. Uh, I, I thought I was defective or something, and, and uh, it, it was alarming to me because that's wrong is what I always uh, understood, but, you know, I don't, I don't control my reaction. I don't control what I'm attracted to. Um, so I spent my teenage years grappling with, I know I like boys and I don't know how to, I don't know how to think about this and understand it. But so I, I knew in my teenage years that this is, this is that this is, I'm gay. I've never thought about dreams. That's very insightful, David. And I, it's pretty hard to control the content of our dreams. Um, perhaps we can do that, but it's probably even harder to control. And I think we've all learned that, just like you taught us, you can't control your sexual orientation. And it would seem natural that your dreams would mirror your sexual orientation. Um, that's pretty thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I've ne never, no, no guest has ever expressed that that way. Mm -hmm. This is, uh, you know, you're 10 years younger than me, so I'm trying to think. This is the 80s. I don't know at this point if you're realizing you're gay, then you're making deals with God, or you're feeling a lot of shame, or you're suicidal, or just kind of share with us pre-mission. I think I mentioned in advance the, in the introduction that you served a mission to Korea, South Korea, but just kind of talk to us about your how you were doing before your mission. Hmm. So, yeah, I was a teenager in the 1980s, and uh, during that time, the AIDS crisis was ravaging uh, uh, the gay community in America. So that was on the news a lot, and 
there were lots of comments by church members saying that was God's punishment for gay people. And uh, the rhetoric at church was, um, well, I, we had lessons that were at, uh, touched on these subjects and, and how it's wrong, how um, even just saying that you're gay is was uh, something that people could be uh, disciplined for. You know, one thing that I really remember strongly is um, Elder Packer had a talk that we would read every year in Young Men's um, where he met with uh, part of the talk is where he went to a mission field and he met with a missionary who had punched his companion so hard that he knocked him to the floor. And uh, it's implied that the, the, the missionary campaign had come on to him, but it's not, it's not clear. He may have just said that he was gay. And, and um, so I remember sitting in a quorum meeting and the other guy saying, smear the queer, smear the queer. And I knew that in that story, I'm the one getting smeared. I'm the one getting hit. And this apostle is saying he's okay with it. So, you know, th those kind of messages it's what, it's what I heard at church and going to dances was really, I hated going to church dances because that, that was a conflict for me. And I usually went and hid. My parents made me go and I usually go find a room to hide in. But yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's really honest. I remember that talk. I'm actually having thought, I do remember that talk now and that's the way I took that talk. I, one of the questions that comes up in these podcasts, here we are two active members talking about a, a difficult church talk, and some would say, well, that's not appropriate, but I think we have to mature that we can talk about a church talk and honor people's pain. I don't think you can heal people and help them move forward if you don't honor how difficult a church experience, a church talk, an interaction is. And if we just sort of dismiss that and say, well, you didn't take that ride or that's not what he meant. If that's how you felt, David, and many members felt the same way, then I think it's part of my responsibility as a committed Latter-day Saint to say, David, I'm really sorry. And I don't think that's me being not supportive of our church leaders. I don't think I have to choose an either or, or I can, just like you've learned to do, be supportive of our church leaders. You know this road better than I do and honor your pain and sit with you in your pain and go, I mean, the question that comes to my mind, Dave, is how did you stay? Hmm. <laughs> uh, why do I stay? That's a question I get. Um, or even how did you stay pre-mission during this talk? I mean, pre-mission? didn't have a choice. Pre-mission. Uh, I wasn't out to my family. I mean, my parents there were some experiences where my parents knew that I was gay, but we don't talk about uncomfortable things much in my family. So we just went on with me being in the closet and, and we just, and them hoping that I would be straight and, and, uh, but living in, in their home that we went to church. And how was your emotional health knowing that church at times could be really good and church, I'm assuming at times it was good, and church at times could be smear the gay type language? Um, well, I felt really alone and isolated. 
that, well, part of that is just the experience of being in the closet and thinking through worst case scenarios, but then going to church and and getting the message that here are all these gospel blessings for everyone except for you, and you're not good enough, and there's a problem with you, and that's a hard thing to reconcile. Um, talk about your mission. Um, did you make a deal with God? I'll go on this mission to South Korea and make me straight. Um, did you do much of that or did, just talk to Actually, us I about... I did that in my teenage years um, because one of the things that we were taught was that uh, the reason people have these attractions is they're not faithful. So I try to be super faithful, a super good teenager, which that put a lot of stress on me because anything, like normal mess ups, anything, uh, even not coming in first in an activity or something, maybe I wasn't good enough. Maybe I, you know, I really want to be quote unquote normal and I have to show I'm faithful enough to be that. And, and so every small thing was crushing to me because I was not able to, to be good enough for God. So yeah, I had that kind of feeling going on before I went on my mission. What would you then, say, 30 years later, if you could talk to your younger self at age 16, 17, 18, this is 30 years ago, what, if if we just pulled in your younger self on a third mic here, so it's you, me, and your 18-year-old self, what would you say to yourself right now, David? You know, the way, the feelings that you have, that's not sinful. It's not the, it's not the result of a lack of faith. It's not a punishment. Just orientation is the way you experience the world. It's how you love and it's how you connect with people. And God doesn't love you despite being gay. He loves you because you are you. And he knows this about you. He made you. You are gay and you are known and loved by God and he is rooting for you. And he is rooting for you. It's pretty good words, David. Talk about Korea. Were you, how was it being a gay mission and missionary in South Korea? Was that an easier time for you? Um, was it a yeah. harder time? Well, was I, it I'd both? Like talk about my, I'm sorry, I'm speaking over you. I don't mean to do no, that. No, that's, you're just fine. Tell us more. Yeah, we want it to be your story. Okay. So my bishop called me in at age 18 to talk about beginning the paperwork to go on a mission, to apply for a mission. And he could tell I was reluctant. And he asked me to go home and pray about the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith and, and said, you know, a lot of times for young men facing a mission, that's when it becomes real. And they pray with real intent at that point and they get an answer. So I went home and prayed, but not about those things. I prayed. I asked, God, do you love me, all of me? Do you love who I am and what I am? That's, that's as far as I got into prayer. And then warmth just radiated across my body. And I knew with certainty that I'm loved. And I heard a voice say, you are not broken. And that sustained me for a long time. That's not what our church taught back then, but that's what God taught me. It's sort of sad that 
you know, now I look back, it's sad that an 18-year-old grew up in church and didn't know if God could even love him until that moment because of all the negativity I'd heard about people like me. We don't usually hear messages of hope and love for LGBT people. I but, love... uh, yeah, I served the mission. Did you come out to your bishop? I would assume you didn't. No, I wouldn't have been able to serve a mission. Back then. I was... I was firmly in the closet. Yeah, things have changed. You can be out and serve a mission now. Yeah. Um, uh, how being gay affected me as a missionary, it was something of a respite for me being on a mission because you focus on other people, not yourself and your problems. So I was able to shuffle a lot of the things that bothered me during that time. There was no pressure to date or talk about girls. And I lived, you know, I lived with other men and I developed intense meaningful relationships with them, which they were not romantic in any way, but it helped a lot having that sort of connection because that, that helped meet some of my needs. I love that. And I, I've heard that from other missionaries that this is actually, I, you used a word there, a time of R, it started with an R, David, say that word again. Uh, uh, I said respite. Respite. And to me, that's a relief from a situation. I don't know for sure that's the definition. Um, but I've heard that from multiple gay men and women missionaries that, you know, even though they're in close pr proximity with someone of the same sex, it's a time when they're sort of called to a higher call and there's a brotherhood or if you're sister, a sisterhood. And no one's dating, no one's talking about dating and you just belong be and you don't for the first time in maybe your church life you fully belong because you're part of this brotherhood and this connection to bring people unto Christ and you know a lot of missionaries really report that and and so I encourage younger missionaries that I talk to um, to not rule out a mission but actually it can be a wonderful thing for them and um, and maybe more you know, and more are serving openly that are out to yeah. people. So you can be out and serve a mission. If, you, if you're considering a mission, but you think maybe that's too hard to put yourself in those sorts of situations, there are more opportunities today to serve alternate styles of missions, like a service mission. And those are just as equal and as needed. And I hope culturally we see that that way and don't sort of rank those as the this, this secondary choice if the first choice doesn't work. Um, talk about as you were leaving South Korea and, um, and were you thinking about, okay, now I've got to face this um, being gay head on in the sense, you know, it's time to date and find a, a wife. Did that bring increased anxiety as you were coming home from mission or did that come later? Or did that come at all? Um, that was... <laughs> Yeah, well, ooh, I knew I was taking those things back off the shelf, that that was my life. I decided to go to the church schools, in first in Rexburg, Idaho, and then to Provo, Utah. Um, I, well, I, actually, my first roommate at, at, uh, in Rexburg, he, I, he were, and I were best friends. And then right at the end of the semester, he told me that he's bi. And uh, for like two or three days, I thought maybe this could be like my boyfriend and maybe it, 
maybe there's a chance at having love and happiness in life. And um, that that was short-lived. And the end of the semester came, and, and he made it clear that life would be easier if he married a woman, and he's absolutely correct about that. And that that But that was sort of soul-crushing for me that I went from having that hope to um, – somebody who felt we needed to confess to the bishop for some, for, for that. And, uh, I, so I sort of buried that and put that away. And, uh, it's not, it's not actually a great way to deal with things. I I've had to go to therapy later in life. And if you try to bury one feeling, you end up burying them all. And you just sort of walk through life numb. So, uh, I wanted to date and do all those things that my roommates were doing, but I didn't. Uh, I followed the I followed the school rules and 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 try to make life work. But the only way it works is not is to focus on the here and now and not about the future. Not think about a family or the family I'm not going to have. Not think about what heaven's going to look like for me. Because all those things are problematic. I don't. I don't have a path that everyone else gets. Um, did you? If I'd met you at age twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, and you were open with me about being gay, were your hopes still to marry a woman? No. That's a little unusual, I think, for that age time. Because I think. I don't know, you help us understand, but I sensed during that big 80s that there was that a lot of gay men were marrying women. And I don't know if the church, did. I don't know, and I can't remember, I know the church at one point encouraged that and then discouraged that. So you may be a bit more familiar with the timeline and can help our listeners. So I was a college student in the 90s, and President Hinckley had, by that time, had said that the church doesn't uh, encourage and mixed orientation marriages. Is that the first I time you had ever heard anything like that from the church on that topic? Had I ever heard anything like that from the church? Before President Hinckley made that statement. Oh, uh, yeah, the church was all about you needed to get married. And so that's the first time that a church leader just taught something different that we don't recommend a mixed orientation marriage. Right. Was that relieving, you know, was that um, relieving you... for you or was that whole, were you glad to hear that or sad to hear that? Mm. Well, by that, by the time I was in college and and now looking at, am I going to have a, what's my life going to be like? I already knew that um, I wasn't romantically attracted to women. So having a church leader say that I don't need to try to force myself into a marriage was good. Yeah, that's a- it's just helpful for our listeners, so thanks for answering that question. Talk about your emotional health um, during this time. As your, I like your language. Um, you said I had to take this off the shelf again as I was coming home from South Korea and kind of hit this head on. 
Talk about your emotional health during this time was, and and maybe in context also to before your mission, was it worse or better? Um, just share with us some of that. Hmm. Well, I mean, being a teenager is hard enough as it is, and then to have to have to be gay in a heteronormative world is it's just some additional hardships. Um, as a as someone in my 20s and 30s, I wasn't being forced to go to church dances, wasn't, wasn't being forced to go on dates. Uh, so I took myself out of those kind of situations, even though I still went to young single adult wards where that was the message, get, get, on, get on the path here. But um, I was hurting during all those years. I... I've since learned this is a form of suicide ideation. Even though I wasn't wanting to to end my life, I was I was in the state of mind where if I got a serious disease or hit by a train or something, hopefully something fast, that I would be okay with that because it would let me end the misery of this life and be something that my family would be okay with because I knew they would not be okay if I was gay and married and went on that on towards a, a different source of happiness. So yeah, I had, I had some problems during those years. That's really honest. And I like the way you frame that up. The suicide ideation is in that category. I think if we're listening and we're, I think it's, okay, I think that's helpful that that is, you know, just sort of a yellow flag on where you are emotionally if those are the kind of things you're thinking about and the need to, to get clinical help to get you in a better spot. And a mm -hmm. lot of our guests like you are really open with therapy. One of the goals, I guess, of this podcast is to destigmatize therapy because I think some of the strongest people I know, including myself a couple times, have gone to therapy. I just need good clinical help. Um, to help me solve things. So I think that's a sign of strength to be able to turn to others for help. I don't think that's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength to turn to God for personal revelation like you receive that you're not broken and you're created as you're supposed to be. Um, talk about, just share more of your journey because I know before we went live, you really started to come out at age 40. And I don't know if you want to talk about the 30s, the late 20s and um, any of that or what led you then, you know, after all these years around age 40 to come out more broadly? So uh, in my mid-30s, I met a woman. She worked at the university where I did. We were very compatible personality-wise. I really liked her. And I thought if, if like a the marriage the church would approve is ever going to happen, it might be with her and she actually is the one who asked me out on on our first date and we dated a bit and i liked her and she wanted to adopt um some special needs children she she has a background there some training and i thought okay here's the way i can have the family i've always dreamed of and be okay with the church uh, but she I, I thought we could maybe live as roommates, but she quickly said, no, that is not an option for her, that she wants a full marriage. And I didn't know if that was something I could do. And 
and her family came to town and I met her two brothers. And I realized I would, if I married her, I would spend my whole marriage wishing I was with one of them rather than with her. And that's not fair to her. And that's not fair to me. So that was the only time I entertained marrying a woman. And um, it, it lasted for a little bit and not long. And, and it was just an experience to confirm I'm on, a, that's not the path for me. Did you come out to her as gay and explain why it would be a different type of marriage? Not at that time. You just kind of broke it off and it, without, because you just knew it wasn't the right thing to do. Right. We've talked since then. She, she ended up marrying someone that she said reminded her of me. Like she liked me, just she needed a straight version. That's a compliment to you, David. And, I admire you just saying, you know, that you were attracted to her brothers. Um, to me, that's a measure of shame that you've overcome, that in a podcast you can say that out loud. So I think that's a sign that that's just how you're wired, and it would be a fairly natural thing to be attracted to men if that's the way you're attracted. And to say that out loud um, as you're thinking it internally in a podcast and I, you probably couldn't do it that day to your sister, but it's a thought that came to your mind. And to be able to say that now, to me, that just is a sign of maturity and a sign of peace. And I think a sign that you've just learned to overcome shame, because that's just the way you are. And you shouldn't feel shame for being the way you are. Any thoughts on that? So shame... So silence and secrets feed shame, and that's part of what being in the closet is. So being in the closet, in addition to hearing negative messages, feeds shame. And I was too ashamed to tell her why I, I didn't continue dating her. And talk about, um, just keep t taking us through your 30s up until 40 when you came out more broadly. I love this story you shared. That's a great one, David. <laughs> well, um, just after being, after having that experience as, of dating her and, and seeing that is not a possibility for me, I, I got to the point where I thought, What's the point of having a life if I'm not going to live, if I'm always going to conceal who I am? That's not, that's not being fully alive. And so I decided to start being completely honest. I didn't um, make a Facebook post or stand up in sacrament meeting or anything like that. But if someone tried to set me up with a friend or made a comment about me not being married, I told them why. And as time went on, more and more people knew. Um, I thought my family knew, so I didn't tell them, which that was a mistake. I should have been open with them too. Uh, but, you know, the interesting thing is shortly after I started being honest with people, that this, well, part of what happens is that dissonance in my life lessened because I was now who I was on the inside and who I presented myself as became less divergent. 
and that helped a lot. And I got better positions at work. I got callings with more responsibility. So I think a more healthy whole me, other people could see there was something different because I was feeling different about myself. Did coming out make it easier to stay in the church or make it harder to stay in the church? Hmm. It's, it's actually mixed. So coming out makes everything complicated. When I'm pretending to be straight and pretending to be on this road, even though I'm not fully participating, I'm not fully acting on trying to get married, there's this, there's this pretend path that I'm on, but coming out means that my life is more complicated. But it also gives me, it also empowers me and I can own the complexities and also own the, the good things that come with, with uh, who I am. Yeah. Um, I liked asking that question and I've heard a variety of answers. Um, I think parents or local leaders may inherently think it's better not to come out um, because they feel coming out might increase the likelihood you find a same-sex partner and leave. Um, but I've felt the ability to belong on who you are and for people to love you for who you are and and give you callings like your um, local leaders have, knowing the full David Doyle makes you feel like you belong and you're needed and you're valued. You're not hiding this. So I, th and I would assume I have listeners that are closeted that their impression is to stay closeted. And I think both of us would say everybody's personal revelation is unique on this path. And I don't think if you never come out, you're weak. Um, but I realize where some people need to come out and it can often actually help them stay in the church because they just, they, at this point, our church is maturing enough that a lot of people are having good coming out experiences with a fair amount of support and love and understanding, which wasn't possible um, back when, you know, you were pre-mission age. Any more thoughts on that? Yeah, well, coming out is a process. So coming out isn't just an announcing to people that this is how you experience the world. It, you, you have to accept it yourself and accept what that means in your life. And, and it's, there's, there's risk in coming out. And so you have to get to the point where you're willing to accept those risks. And, and uh, one thing about coming out is you have a voice now and you can speak about things that you weren't able to speak about before. And it, it takes courage, but this journey transforms us and, and, and we, we come out and, and it's true that a lot of people, the usual path is you come out and then in a short time, I don't know, within a couple of years, people leave the church, but that's because they, they now can be honest and look at their path and, and, be honest with God and God can give them messages. They can work out their journey together in that way. So I understand why Bishop may be hesitant, but it actually empowers the person to, to um, be able to be honest about their feelings and the things that they struggle with and be able to ask for help. And if they want to stay in the church, 
it's really useful to have someone that you can share the hard things that are going on in your life as opposed to having to be, remain silent and keep everything a secret. What would you say if a, a bishop's listening to this um, and a local or any local leader, young women's leader, um, that that wants to communicate the right message or good messages to LGBTQ people? And I'm going to give you two questions. One is sort of a, a broad message a bishop might share and um, not knowing if there's LGBTQ people listening. And then a second question is what they'd share perhaps in a one-on-one -on -one interview when someone's out. And maybe it's the same answer. Just share some thoughts because I do get a lot of messages on now with this podcast from local leaders that are listening that um, really want to do the right thing and are anxious to hear voices like yours, David, to help them. So my stake president actually had me speak in a stake youth conference. And he let me give a message to any LGBTQ youth who were there. So, I, so having, having a gay voice, having an LGBT voice that was able to stand up and have a positive message, that was a good thing. And, and my stake president also talked about if there's somebody who, who is LGBT and wants to come talk to him, here's how the conversation will go. He will, he will say that he loves you and that God loves you. And he will ask you to share some about your journey and how you got to this point where you're sharing with him. And he'll ask about what your goals are for the future. And, and um, he would like to, as much as you want to be in the church, he will help you with that. If you feel that uh, over time, you feel that you need to go a different path, he'd want you to know that you're always welcome to, to attend and you're welcome to come back if you feel like you've left and you want to return. And he likely has to give you a blessing and a hug. So he made it, he made it so people would know it was safe to talk to him. Because that's one of the hard things. You don't know how people are going to react. So if you know how people will react to coming out, it, it makes it easier to, uh, to take that step. David, that's a home run answer. And if your stake presence listening, President, I'm just in tears with what you've done in your stake to have Dave speak, to have Dave be your executive secretary and serve in other significant callings and keep this good man around you. And your humility to learn from him. I think sometimes we as leaders think we have all the answers, but I thought a lot of the answers came from listening to my members. They were often the answers to the prayers I was asking. But I love what you just said. I love that the stake president just said, this is how the conversation is going to go if you come out. Because there's so much anxiety and fear with the unknown mm -hmm. of how a conversation would would look with a local priesthood leader or a, and some may come out to a young woman's president or a counselor or a young men's president. It's a trusted ward adult often that someone will come out to. But if that person's communicating, accepting messages about LGBTQ, then they're communicating they're safe. And, and I love your stake president because he never, he never talked about turning that into a repentance interview. You and me have heard stories of where someone comes out and 
it quickly turns into a reminder of the doctrine of the church, which an LGBTQ person seems to have a pretty good handle on. Um, yes, and, um, and, and or a repentance interview. And there may be a time for any member of a ward or a stake to have a, you know, a worthiness interview, but to sort of, to sort of have that earlier in the process for an LGBTQ person or to treat that one different than a straight person, I think is something that we shouldn't do. And so I love what your stake president did. President, if you're listening, and I have to think those bishops said, I can do what president just taught us. And I would guess a, a mother, a father in your stake and said, I can do that. I can't have, I don't have an interview with my son or daughter, but I can say the same things the stake president said. And so that if I have an LGBTQ child, they know how that conversation is going to look with mom and dad, or maybe mom and dad don't, you know, in the family discussions, maybe don't talk about their children, but said, hey, you know, if we had a cousin that came out to us as gay or a friend, these are, this is how we'd respond. And and so it maybe doesn't put the pressure on a kid to think my parents think I'm gay, but it just creates um, an indirect message to them that this is how my parents would respond. And then one of the things I bet's happening for your stake president is if he can share that kind of love with LGBTQ, which is easy to do, um, at least it, it became easy for me as I just got to meet some LGBTQ people. It creates safety for everybody in the stake to talk to them about anything and everything. So if I'm straight and have really difficult challenges in my life, and I hear that from the stake president, the message to me is, I can talk to this guy. I, I yeah. can talk to this guy. And he, because he, if he's going to handle that conversation with LGBTQ, he can handle what I need to talk to him about. And so it's a beautiful principle of mis ministering, and it's what Christ did, because he was with everybody that society said he shouldn't be with. And it created a feeling yeah. that everybody in society knew they were safe being with Christ. More, that's really touching, David. <laughs> I don't know if I'm just overly emotional because we dropped our son off or because I'm feeling <laughs> your good spirit, but I'm a little more emotional in tonight's podcast than usual. Um, share more of, of what's going on in your stake or um, your visit with Elder Costa. Um, just more of your journey. Yeah. So um, I agree with what you said, and that initial meeting, that with the first time someone comes out, they've spent a lot of time worrying, and they have a lot of anxiety. They just need love and affirmation. The the kind of the kind of uh, discussions about church doctrine and repentance, those can come in in later meetings. I mean, hopefully you'll want to meet with them again. Um, you mentioned parents. I think a lot, so parents sometimes come and talk to me about their children and Good. their gay children. And they, so there's a disconnect. They think saying to their kids, I love you no matter what covers everything. But teenagers think that there's an asterisk there and that the really hard things are exempt from that statement. So I think it's helpful if a parent shares some examples of what this means. Like if you're a lesbian and you like girls, I will always be there for you and love you and help you in any way. If you get pregnant, I want you to know we will be on your team no matter what. You're my daughter and I love you. Or if you do drugs, I hope you won't, but I want you to be able to ask me for help. Or if you get drunk at a party, I'll be disappointed, but please call me and let me be the one to drive you home. 
I know these can be awkward conversations, and you don't have to have these often because a teenager will remember those words. Those will stick. That's really cool. Here you are, this so, this dad. <laughs> I'm calling you a dad now because you have all these young people you influence for good. You have some such wonderful parenting skills, but you haven't had any biological children, David, and it's part mm-hmm. of your gift to the church and your gift to all of us is your insight is you've had to go deep to figure out really complicated stuff. And you're helping a lot of parents right now as they're listening to you. And and everything you said is doable. Everything you said is not very hard. Um, and that, I think, is great for parents to hear and say, I can do that. I just kind of need someone like David to tell me how to do it. Well, thank you for that compliment. Tell us more so about you, your stake or... Um, and yeah. anything between that experience and Elder Costa? So I was uh, asked to serve as taking men's president, and I was doing that, and I loved that. I and did they call you? Every... Did they call you knowing you were gay? My state president did not know at that time, but a number of people did. Um, he said that uh, he looked over at me playing piano in, I, I was primary pianist for years and years, and said, that man needs, can do more. And this was shortly after I decided to be honest with people. And, and um, they put me in the sticking in presidency, and it transformed church for me. I was no longer just existing at church. I felt like I was blossoming and making a difference. And... Um, state callings usually are to help ward leaders be their best version of themselves. But with state youth, you also do a lot of interacting with youth. And so I wanted them to know that I saw them and I knew them and I loved them, that there was another person in their life. And I knew, I knew all the youth in my state by name, and I knew at least one thing about them. That's cool. And things were going pretty well. And gay marriage was legalized and the church had a statement about it and i thought okay we've made it here things i think things might start opening up and getting a little easier like we'll have a little space to breathe but in november 2015 um the policy of exclusion came out and i felt sucker punched i was so mad And I was saying to God, why did you tell me to be here in this church when it clearly doesn't want me? Now, I was ready to walk away, um, but God made clear I needed to stay, that there was was some work for me to do. And I, I didn't know what that was, but a month later, I got released from that calling, and my state president said that he he really valued what I was doing in as taking men's president, but he felt so strongly that I needed to be his uh, the state executive secretary that might that have unique viewpoints that are needed in the top councils of the state. And because of this calling, um, I, they still kept me involved with state youth activities for a couple of years. So that was good for for me to to still feel like I made a difference beyond uh, making appointments and sitting in meetings. But one thing that comes with this calling is when general authorities come to town, they normally have a meeting with the state presidency. And and that includes 
in those meetings that includes the state clerk and the state secretary. And usually there's not a gay room in the a gay man in the room, but when they come to my state, they bump into me. And I don't always come out to them. It depends on if it's relevant or if I feel prompted to. It happens about half the time. Um, we have Richard Elder Richard Maines coming next month, and so we'll see how that goes. But uh, I met this man named Elder Joaquin Costa in 2016. He was the first uh, 70 that I met. And I have a blog where I write about being gay Mormon called Nerdy Gay Mormon, just one word, on Tumblr. And I wrote about this experience. And he had spoken in general conference in April 2017. And I wrote this thinking, honestly, I thought 15 to 30 people would see it. Uh, I said a little blog, but um, I got a half a million hits. Somebody shared it on Facebook, and it went viral. And so suddenly I was out to everyone. There was enough information there that people could identify it was me. And it was, a, it was a little scary for a day or two. But then I thought, you know, I've, always, I've wanted to be out. I just, it was just hard to do. And I felt like this was the Lord being tired of waiting on me, that he had work for me to do. And so he, he gave me the push to, he didn't do anything. I, it was my words, and he just got it out there for everyone. And so since then, I've been contacted by so many people. So many people who are hurting and and need to be heard, and um, it's been a great blessing in my life. And I now have LGBTQ friends who have LDS backgrounds. Some are active, some aren't, but we understand each other in a way that that is deep and meaningful. And that's been a huge blessing too to have that kind of community. Um, that's cool. Uh... So it sounds like you came, just talk us through, you're in Elder Costa, Joaquin Costa, has come to your stake as the visiting 70. Yeah. And at some point, and you're the stake executive secretary, there's probably multiple meetings you have where he's there. Um, what did you come out to him at some point in this conference, state conference? So we had a meeting of just uh, the take president, his two counselors, the clerk, and myself, and Elder Costa, and we sat in a circle, and and secretary is the, is the lowest of those callings, so I sat next to him in this circle, and um, so he had a message about marriage, and he's telling these men about being married, and I had to tell him I was single. Well, he had asked, and, and so I told him I was single, and so he sat next to me and he kept patting my arm and, and, you know, letting me know it's okay. He's talking to them, but he's aware that I'm sitting by him. And the meeting ended and I went into the state clerk's office and I heard people rustling around. Like I knew they had to get to another meeting. And then the spirit said to me, you have 15 seconds, go talk to him. And I turned around and he is from where I'm sitting, I can see him framed by the door frame. And so I go over there and to my astonishment, he's, a, he's alone. And so I just said, Elder Costa, I want you to know the reason I'm single is that I'm gay. And that's all I said. And he wrapped me immediately, his arms into a tight hug. And he said, dear brother, the church has much to offer you and you 
have much to offer the church. And he let go of that hug. And right then the state president came walking back in the door and said, okay, let's go. And they went, they went on to the next meeting and in the, in the meetings, the rest of the conference sessions, he, he would give the message he came to deliver, but he also put in messages related to me. And so I, I heard him speaking kindnesses to me and to LGBT people. And, um, at the end of conference, we again gathered in a circle and we spoke about the conference and then we ended with prayer and we knelt down and he offered the prayer and we stood up and he again grabbed me into a really tight, really, really tight hug, chest to chest. He put his ear against my, I mean, his mouth against my ear said, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I was just crying because I felt through him, I felt the Savior's love. He was here on an assignment from church, you know, as a representative of church leadership. And that's the message he brought to me. And he ministered to me during that that time in a way I didn't know I needed to. So that was really, that was really a special moment for me. Well, that's a, I have tears in my eyes. I'm looking at a picture of the Savior at the Pool of Bethesda in our room here, our front room where we record these. And I just, like you said, David, I, I have to think if Heavenly Father or Christ were in that room and giving you a hug, that's exactly what they say. I love his initial response of no hesitation and moving towards you. I love you acting mm -hmm. on your impression, your prompting. Um, but I don't know where Elder Costa got that. I don't know if he says experience with LGBTQ people or he's just wired for kindness. And so he just knew how to respond to all of Heavenly Father's children. And he sensed that was a really vulnerable, courageous moment for you. And he just as quick as possible, he moved towards you. Um, as you just, an incredibly vulnerable moment to come out to in a, one of our general authorities in this little split second, it's probably the only chance you could have done that. And then to have him have that inner experience with you. To me, as you know, I think that was orchestrated by Heavenly Father and to help heal your heart and give you hope. And I love that you shared that message broadly. That's probably where I connected with you because I remember that story on Facebook. And and any more thoughts on that? I know you've recently reconnected with Elder Costa. You were in Utah and had a visit with him. Um, any more about that story or reconnecting or just where, where do you want to go at this point? You've got wonderful thoughts to share, David. Well, uh, yeah, when I meet these seventies with the ones that I end up telling that I'm that I'm gay, um, generally it, they they're loving to me and often they want to stay in touch and or they'll invite me to meet with them when I go to Utah. Um actually this last time that I went to Utah a month ago was the first time I've reconnected with Elder Costa and um I just wanted to share with him you know, some of how this had changed my life and to thank him for just his, 
his immediate response was to love me. And just, I thought that was a great quality that a person has. Um, I, I have, I mean, I meet these 70, but they're, it's only like a couple days out of the year. They're cool stories. They're the ones that people want to hear about. Uh, but you know, what's more meaningful is when I, when I help LGBT people who are hurting and they, and they can hear love and affirmation from me from somebody that, um, you know, somebody that, that can understand where they're coming from. I'll share another story. Elder, there's an elder Claudio Costa and he came to my stake and initially we got off on a bad start. Uh, and the, that was a Friday night and he could tell things hadn't gone well between him and me. And the next day he came in and he made a real effort to, to, um, befriend me. And, and by the end of state conference, he, he said, let's drop titles. You're David. I'm Claudio. We're friends. Come to Utah. Let's go out. Well, I'll take you to lunch. And, and I've met him several times. He's, It's good for me to have conversations with them, but I think it's good for them too, that they, they don't always think about what, what they, they often talk about LGBT people, but not to LGBT people. I remember I, last year I met him for lunch and I was telling him how I feel like if God is the author of diversity then he would have accounted for it in his plan, and I feel like I'm included in, in God's plan, but I don't feel like I'm included in the church's version of this plan. I believe there's more to be revealed. And he thought for a moment and said, well, you know, you're right. When, when the church looks at what this plan is, there's, we don't really see gay people in it. And yet, here you are. And I said, yeah, here I am. And God must love LGBTQ people because he keeps making more of us. And he laughed and I laughed and um, he said, you know, I don't know what the answers are. He said, I know what our church leaders say and, and I'm not going to contradict that, but I don't know what the future holds for you. And, but I'm convinced that all wrongs that are done in this life will be made up in the millennium. If there were blessings you should have received now, you'll get them then. And uh, I don't think any blessings will be withheld from a person who is righteous and doing, doing their best. And I don't know that he'd thought through that far, like what, this, what the church teachings mean for me specifically. So we, it's, it's good to have conversations with them. I have to think that's one of your missions, David, is, you know, Heavenly, F I know you were so kind at the beginning of this podcast to honor people that step away, but there are some that stay, and we could name some of those names, and they then allow um, me, people like me and local leaders and 70s to have conversations. If you had left, you wouldn't have had that conversation with either of these two good men that have the same spelling of the same last name, but different pronunciations. <laughs> um, and so I think that is part of um, the role of some LGBTQ people to be able to stay. And 
and then you humanize. I know my hard drive changed when I just met LGBTQ people. And God told me one day in the bishop's office, everything you've learned about LGBTQ people is from straight people. And how do you know what you've concluded that's accurate or not? And he said, wipe your hard drive clean of everything you concluded and go listen to LGBTQ people tell you about LGBTQ people. And that's been transforming for me. And it was just part of the personal revelation I received. So I, I think our leaders um, are really good men and women um, trying to do the best they can, but often it takes a personal interaction with an LGBTQ person like you um, to shift their thinking. And you said something really profound that I really picked up the last couple of weeks um, with some of our church leader remarks. Most, I don't know if most, but many of our leader remarks when they talk about LGBTQ people, they talk about them, the word you used, about. And and some of that can be um, as a threat to the body of our church. Um, versus talking to LGBTQ people as their own members. And so mm -hmm. if I'm David Doyle and I'm hearing our leaders talk about people like David Doyle, not as part of our, not as part of our body, but as an outside influence that could be negatively affect our body, then that would make me feel bad. <laughs> Um, and make me feel like I don't belong. But imagine how it makes me feel. <laughs> yeah, so you've heard these messages. So a dear sister um, posted, she's a seminary, early morning seminary teacher, and I put this on my Facebook page. She just wrote a, a message. She said, I'd love to hear every LGBTQ person here from the early morning seminary teacher from a local leader. And it it sort of just went on, we love you, we need you. They're openly gay missionaries serving. They they need our love and respect. They need a little extra encouragement. So her message was talking to LGBTQ people about how they are needed for us to become the body of Christ, how they bring unique gifts and attributes, but how the road is more difficult. So we ought to work a little extra harder to make them feel like they're needed and belong, just like your stake is done. And so I, I liked all that. So it's very insightful for me when you talk about the concept of about versus two. I love this idea of Elder Costa, Claudia Costa in this case, um, saying, I don't know. I think Kurt Frankham, a local LDS leader, was on our podcast, and he talked about the sin of certainty. And... I, I want to be certain about things, and there are certain things that I'm very clear about, but there's there's a lot of things the older I get I don't know, and I think it takes a degree of maturity um, to say I don't know and I'm not certain. So um, I kind of frame up the church's relationship with its LGBTQ members as like a 20-chapter book, and there's just more chapters to write and because it needs to be the balm of Gilead equally for all of God's children. The doctrine is we're all alike unto God. So the church experience should be equally balming. That's not very good English for all of our members. And as you know, firsthand, that hasn't happened in your life. And so I just, and then I think it's okay to talk about the earlier chapters at time 
Some people don't want to talk about the earlier chapters. That's the things our leaders have said. Some of those society was saying at the same time, so I kind of get that. But some would say our leaders maybe should have been held to a little higher standard. And so I don't try to bring up those prior things that our leaders have said too much in the podcast. But when someone does, like you did with Elder Packer, I think it's okay to honor your pain that that created. I think that's part of my responsibility as a, bab as a baptized member to bear and mourn and comfort is to honor the pain you felt with a talk like that. And I can do that and still sustain and support our leaders. Um, to me, it's not an either or. In fact, it's I can do both. And it's taken me a little bit to get there. But sometimes I think a local leader doesn't want to validate someone's pain if it comes from the church he's trying to sustain or support. And that can be complex, but I think you can do both. So just some thoughts as I'm chiming in with your story. Um, I, love your, I love your meeting with 70s, and I love that sometimes you don't feel impressed to talk to a visiting 70 about your situation, and sometimes you do. Um, how did your stake, stake presidency respond that, that you shared a little bit about this visit with Elder Joaquin Costa, and then it kind of went viral? Were they a little nervous that that happened and it brought more no. attention to your stake, or did they think that was just great? They loved it. They loved me, and they responded so positively. Uh, they, in fact, they were like, "Why didn't you tell us before? Like, why weren't you more open with us?" And uh, they loved that this happened in their stake, and that they had seen a, a big part of this interaction without knowing the underlying, underlying root at it, and. Uh, they had felt the love in the room when, when at the end of the meeting, and um, they've been they they honor me and and my journey. Uh, my state president and I we we have some very frank, honest talks. About every two or three months, he says for me to schedule an, uh, my own appointment with him, <laughs> and he knows I have some differences. Uh, with the church on the LGBT topics. Um, you know, I feel that I've gotten some answers and they don't match what church says. And, and he tells me that it's okay to have some differences with the brethren and still be a good member, that you can have some doubts and still have a testimony. Um, we talk, we've talked in depth about the law of chastity and like what, what I would have to repent for and what isn't a sin per se. So um, we also have talked about if if the time comes where I feel like I really, I, I need to be released, that I can just ask to be released and he won't, he'll recognize that um, my time is done and, and it's time for me to move on. Um, I had to, so the same year that that, that blog post went viral. I was in a downward slope on my mental health, and I I became suicidal. and And I I went to therapy, but I had to schedule it for a night when we often had presidency meetings. So I needed to tell that I was no longer available, and I needed to make a safety plan. And part of that was including people in that plan. And so I included him and let him know them of what I was feeling and, and working with and and 
he has been great in letting me work through the things I need to work through in my life, trusting me to live a life that is uh, keeps me worthy to serve in this calling, even though I have some differences in how I view things. And, and his love and support has been really helpful for me. It's, it's what's make it, made it possible for me to continue to be a member in good standing and to serve and, and to have these kind of interactions that we're talking about with parents and youth and, and other church leaders. And I don't know when I'll accomplish the things the Lord has for me to do in this church. And at that point, he and I will figure out what my path forward is. But for now, I'm here and I... I try to make it work, and, and it it only works if I focus on what's going on today, not the future. Like Jesus is active today and doing work today, so how can I be a part of that? And the future is going to, you know, come when it comes. I, you know, I, I just wish what were happening in your state could happen in every state. I wish there was a David Doyle. Um, doing what you're doing with the stake presidency that um, is walking this road with you and then the, the culture it's creating, it's not creating new doctrine in your stake. There's no need to, you know, but what's being created is um, a much different culture that is accepting and loving and and I love what your stake president's doing with you is you have enough trust with him that you can be completely honest with him, even in your deepest questions and perhaps things you don't agree with. And he is giving you space to share that with him. And and how much better is that to share that with him versus people that have left the church will listen to you, David. And you may find that you belong with them because no one in the church will sort of let you talk about how you feel without feeling like you're out of line. And and I think he's creating space for you just to be who you are and feel how you feel. And and I've one of the things that I've learned is that you know you may be, your commitment to your covenants or your commitment to um, your relationship with Heavenly Father Christ may you know even if you feel a little bit different, it may not be your commitment may not be different. You just may have a different feeling about some of these things, and so. I, I believe some people that say, I know the church is true, and some people say, I believe the church is true. Behind that person may be someone doing the very best they can to come into Christ, and I shouldn't rank those type of testimonies. And so on the, another scripture that came to mind when I think about this is, I don't know where it is, because you know, one heart and one mind is somewhere in the scriptures. We use that um, fairly frequently, but that doesn't mean we all feel the same. We just have the same one heart and one mind to come unto Christ. And you and your stake presidency and both Elder Costas and, you know, have that same common goal. And that can still have differences behind that. And so I like that. I, you know, I like the November policy statements, you being honest about that. That was something that was, was the first thing in my church life that was difficult for me. And I was a singles ward bishop at the time, and I reached out to, uh, you know, a couple leaders in my life and had two very different experiences as I opened up. And um, it caused, and one was very shaming for me, and I felt like the tears, and I felt like someone who was, couldn't get behind the prophet, and that was a very difficult experience for me. And the other one, that leader gave me space to feel the way I felt. And so, 
Um, I just think, you know, there's wonderful ministering and pastoral principles you're teaching in this podcast through your own example. And, and I think it just helps us all do better. Um, any, we're kind of to the end, David, although I could keep talking to you for a while. Um, anything we didn't get to or any final thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, I, I told you that I do have some differences with the church. I, I have a blog and I use that blog to explore some of those ideas and, and to work through some of my issues and my state president and actually, um, uh, some of the other church leaders I've spoken with say, that's fine. You know, I don't stand up in church and try to say things. I don't believe this. And I do believe that that's that's not the space for that. We're all allowed to have our own different opinions. You know, these are general authorities teaching general principles and general conference to us. But then we have to figure out what principles specifically, how those fit in our lives. Um, we've talked about, uh, we've just briefly talked on um, LGBT people who don't stay in the LDS church. I want to be clear, I, I feel no animus towards them. I, I believe for many of them that is the better path. And, and you know, there's 7 billion children on, of God on this earth at this very moment. And most of them aren't members, but we believe that most of them will be fine and be taken care of. Um, maybe that will happen in the millennium. And so I also believe LGBT people who step away from the church will be taken care of. Uh, if the church isn't ready for them now, it's okay for them to leave. There, there are some real negative benefits, uh, uh, not benefits, uh, uh, consequences that uh, happen to LGBT people who stay in the church. And it's fine to step away to, to improve your mental health. Um, I really like that. I just go ahead. I just think to be kinder and and love each other. Uh, we, you know, if we want to see God, you just have to look at the people around you because we're all made in His image. If you want to serve God, you've got to find. The least of these, the people are hurting, the ones that are on the margins, the, the ones that lack the basics of life, um, widows and orphans. If you want to love God, you have to love yourself and you have to love the people around you. Life is about how we treat other people. That's, that's the overarching message of the gospel. It's not rituals. It's, we have rituals, but it's about how we live and the Christ-like attributes we develop. That's what, that's what, that's how I see the gospel anyway. I love that, David. And the other thought that's been in my mind today, in addition to our son going to the MTC, is uh, I'm in a couple of Facebook groups with LDS parents of LGBTQ kids, and they graciously invited me to be part of that group. And one of the moms this morning posted with tears about being turned down for her temple recommend as she talked to um, her priesthood leader at the stake presidency level um, about question number seven, do you affiliate, agree? I sorry, I forgot the wording of the question. <laughs> um, and she talked about her gay child being in a same-sex relationship and how she was supporting them 
and their daughter, I think it was a daughter, could have been a son in that same-sex relationship. And I sensed in this Facebook post this mom just opening up in a moment of deep vulnerability, um, saying, this is really hard to, you know, I don't quite know how to navigate this, and I'm supporting my child, and I want a temple recommend. And um, the member of the stake presidency, you know, didn't sign that recommend. And... Um, and I think there's a follow-up visit with the stake president, and it may get resolved. But I know Elder Christofferson's talked about this. And do you have any framework for our listeners, you know, sort of how to navigate this space? Because I look at it as I affiliate with individuals all the time that aren't in our church or following the teachings of our church. And Christ did all the time. But sometimes we'll take that question very literally and and a temple recommend will be denied in a situation where someone's like, you know, going to a gay wedding or inviting gay people to lunch or marching in a pride parade. Any thoughts for our listeners, especially local leaders or members that are to navigate this space? Yeah. So I recently um, uh, renewed my temple uh, recommend and we got to that question and I, I said to my bishop, I need to talk to you about this. I was recently, there's an organization called Affirmation, which is for LGBTQ individuals, plus their families and friends and allies, who have some intersection with the LDS church, whether they are active or inactive or still believe or, or they're anti-church. It's just an organization to help support and build community for this group of people. And I've been asked to uh, be a leader in in setting up an, a Florida chapter for, for affirmation. And I said, they are not there to promote the church. In fact, people who are anti-church are welcoming. And I just want you to be aware that that's what I'm going to be a part of. And he said, you know, that's an interesting temple recommend question because we all um, – affiliate with lots of organizations. We go to work, we work for companies that aren't affirming of the church or may not, you know, they may be creating products or, or have standards that aren't in line with our church. That doesn't mean the person who's working there is, is not worthy of a, of a temple recommend. To, to his way of thinking, if we are affiliating with an organization that is looking to tear down the church, then that's an issue. But supporting individuals isn't a problem. Elder Christofferson, you know, way back said, it's okay to be in favor of of same-sex marriages. There's no doctrine that says we have to abandon our children. Loving children is a primary responsibility in, in loving and supporting and encouraging them. There are big goals in life for people to accomplish that are not part of the church and people should be allowed to to recognize those accomplishments in their children's life even if it's not in line with the doctrine because those people are not in the church trying to conform to the doctrine um you know there's there's lots of celebrations that we uh can go and be a part of that we don't even question but you put on this this LGBT aspect of it, and so many people get very nervous. That's very helpful, and I love the way you even talked about there's companies that aren't supportive of the church, and um, I love the the definition you've drawn, which is the same one I've sensed and heard from Elder Christofferson, 
is if the organization you're part of sole mission is to tear down the church, then that's different than just what affirmation's doing, which is um, creating an, a path, uh, just a, uh, an organization that can honor every LGBTQ's path. And some will be in the church and some will be out. So it's not an organization that's asking every LDS LGBTQ person to live the church and then spend the rest of their life taking down the church. That's not at all what affirmation is. So I, I love that distinction. And I personally hope that that question changes to, I think it was written to weed out polygamists <laughs> that believe so both in polygamy and the ordinance of polygamy and wanted to go to the, the, the validity of the ordinance in the temple and polygamy. So they kind of wanted to get in the temple and do these. And so I think that's the origin of the question. And I don't think there's, I don't think that's needed now. So I just hope with further light and understanding and with President Nelson doing a lot of changes that perhaps this question will be clarified. Elders Christofferson's statement perhaps signed by um, the entire quorum of the 15, the entire, when I say the quorum of the 15, First Presidency and the 12, um, just so that, because I think there's some local leaders that aren't aware of what you've just shared with us. And, and so that then can become a very difficult moment in a vulnerable moment where there needs to be the healing that Elder Costa gave you in that moment of vulnerability mm -hmm. where you need the church to heal you. And sometimes the church can add to your burden, you know, and it may, I'm trying to give this good man a pass because I don't think he wanted to do the wrong thing. I think he wanted to do what he'd been taught, but perhaps wasn't aware of some of these other insights, just like your visit with Elder um, Claudia Costa just gave him more insight into your path and he was willing to learn. The other word I wrote down here coming back to an earlier part of your podcast was role model. And I remember maybe 10 or 15 years ago when I served as a stake young men's president talking with our stake president. Um, and I, I just remember thinking, you know, it's probably really hard for um, any closeted gay men in our stake to, f to feel like they have a, a role model. If you're a, these are different. If you're a single straight sister, you mm -hmm. do have single unmarried women in the church that are serving and you can kind of, and that's not an easy road. I don't want to say that's any easier, but there is some role models, but I would hope that we could have, you know, a stake, you know, young men, president, unmarried, openly gay serving, and that wouldn't be a concern. And we'd actually look at that and say, well, that's really healthy for my son to have um, my straight son or my gay son to have, you know, that perspective and that one's and that person serving in that position. It's not. And that is an, uh, an ideal role model for my son to have um, a mentor like that. And I think the stake young men's president, if he's out and gay, it's not everything he says talks about his sexual orientation, but it's just part of who he is. And and the young men are mature enough to just get that. And 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 it's not a big deal. And I think it not being a big deal is kind of where we need to get. I have assumed that your presidency meeting is not a big deal anymore that you're gay and the people in your state that know you. It's just it's just who David is and we love David and we don't and hanging around David is not going to change my sexual orientation or make me take on the gay lifestyle or some of these things that we've said in the past. I 
you know, I just, you know, I'm kind of joking here, but just a thought as we mature, I just hope that we're able to get to that point. And especially if I'm a closeted young gay guy or woman, I'm looking at someone in our stake that's serving openly and I go, okay, that's how I do it. That guy's loved or that woman is loved and he or she is serving and they're adding value and they're and their beautiful gifts and contributions are helping us become the body of Christ that Paul talked about in Corinthians 12. Anyway, I've talked too much, David. Maybe I need therapy therapy today because <laughs> my son's gone, and I want to make sure I give you more voice than me. But just any closing thoughts? Oh, well, hmm. you know, I, I, so I was just taking men's press. I was a counselor for two years and then I was a president for a year. And during that time, I, some, some youth came out to me. Those were really holy experiences. And, and I could tell them, you know, I'm also gay. And one of them was funny. He said, yeah, I could kind of tell, but, uh, you know, which is fine because that is part of who I am. And parents have talked to me when I was in that calling. But since then, you know, this thing that went viral and suddenly I was out to everybody, they still have me involved in, in so many state youth activities. I've been counselors at youth conference and, and participate in, in other state, state youth activities. It doesn't change me being worthy. It doesn't change me being um, a good member and, and having good relationships with people. It's, I, I never saw anyone who is gay or trans serving openly in any sort of leadership position. And I'm glad that the youth in my state at least have seen some of that. And uh, they understand what the church standards are. And, um, but I, and I don't mean to say that my experience is more painful than single uh, people who've never been married. It's just a different experience than theirs. And we can honor both. And we, as long as we're here and we're trying to um, work our way to being more like the Savior, there's room for all of us. There's room for all of us. And I love that you've had some youth that have directly impacted for you. And I have to think that you've prepared people for um, those youth may have gay kids one day. <laughs> And they may be local leaders, and they're going to reflect back to David Doyle, and they're going to reflect back to the way your stake presidency loves you and and not just brings you in, but also lets you shine. I love the – I've been thinking about the words bridge over troubled water, Simon and Garfunkel song. You're probably familiar with it, but um, – because you're not as old as I am, but that's a song from my high school days. But I wish I could sing. I can't sing at all, but the – there's this last verse that says, your time has come to shine. Um, I'll be right behind you. So to me, that's the job of the ally or the, your stake president in this case. It's not just to coddle you and make sure you're okay. We actually want you to shine, David, because you can help us become the body of Christ we need to be. So we need your voice. We need your gifts, your attributes to help us become the church we need to become. And so, you know, your time has come to shine. I'll be right behind you. Sort of like I'm not abandoning you, but it's your deal. And and so I love some of the wording in 
someday I'll get a, someone on the podcast that can sing that song for us. But I just mm-hmm. hear songs like that and and think about, you know, w- what we need from our LGBTQ members is to be able to be in situations where they can shine and because that helps us. So um, thank you, David, for being on the podcast. I don't know if you have any last thoughts before we sign off. So I was thinking, there's, sorry, this is the last thing, because I know that we're going long. Um, one thing that's helped me is when I hear things at church that, that hurt me or that just don't sit right with me, I have three questions that I ask myself. The first is, does that sound like me? Do I resemble that remark? Especially when they're talking about um, gay people in, in the way that they describe them. Um, the second is, does this sound like the God that I know? And the third question is, does this fit the great commandment to love our neighbors? And so many things that bother me at church just sort of fall away because I failed those those types of questions. Um, you know, I don't know where my path is going to go in the future, but I'm here now. I'm in. I'm. I'm confined in the space that I'm allowed to be in, and I try to make that work and do the best I can here. And and that's all that anyone can ask of me. And. Uh, I appreciate the love and support that people give to me, and I hope that people feel the love and and respect that I have for them, no matter where they are in their journey, too. And thank you so much for having me on today, Richard. I appreciate it. You bet. David, will you tell us one more time how to find your blog? Actually, if you just do a Google search and type <laughs> nerdy gay Mormon, one word, that post that went viral will come up. <laughs> From there, you can... You can find whatever else you want out there. So all our listeners, go type nerdy gay Mormon, one word. I guess if you separate and do three words, it's going to get to David Doyle's blog. And David, on behalf of all of our listeners, and I recognize it's an honor to me that we have thousands of listeners to each episode. I think five, six, seven thousand is what my tech guys tell me. And But that's hmm. a credit to you. And it's a credit to your willingness to come on the podcast and share your story and the courage and guts. And I had a lady on my morning walk pull out her headphones, and I had no idea she was listening to the podcast. And she's just in another ward, and and her and her friend listened and just talked about how helpful they are to her. Um, so there's a I'm really grateful. I think members of our church are good people and want to hear stories like yours, but. That helps them do better. They want to do better, but they need the education that you and my other guests are providing so that we can do better. So you have a great night's sleep in Florida, David. It's July, so I assume it's hot and humid, and it's just hot and dry here in Utah is the only difference. And you are a great man, and I'm honored to call you friend, and thank you for what you're doing and in your entire stake. And And I love you, brother, and we thank our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.